Welcome to the Drunk Guys Book Club, where books aren't just for school, where book clubs aren't just for women, and we smucking love beer. <laughs> I'm Mike. I'm Nate. I'm Jimmy. <laughs> and we're the Drunk Guys, and this week we are reading uh, Lizzie's story by Stephen King. And starting with a beer, anyone? I have two. Can I? Anyone have two? Do it. Start it. Do it. Start with this beer. I warned you in text message. These aren't good ones. Uh, so the story follows Lizzie until the end of her story. The end. But um, Lizzie's <laughs> story is the main character. Part of the part of the story takes place in like you know the current timeline for her, which is really only a couple of days the, of the turbulent year of two thousand and six. <laughs> and the rest of the book, it's kind of like this reminiscing about her her marriage and courtship with scott landon the world's greatest author besides stephen king and she remembers all their dates and things they did and fights and you know it's probably she'd remember things like a cheeseburger picnic (laughs) (laughs) this is cheeseburger she eats all that hamburger helper throughout it dude she did have a cheeseburger pie hamburger helper she eats the cheeseburger helper specifically actually so this is cheeseburger picnic um, which I think this is a new brewery for us. This is from Burley Oak Brewing Company in uh, Berlin, Maryland. We've had one or two. It's a 7.4% alcohol, hazy kind of New England IPA thing. And it's it's great. I was actually there recently. And uh, they, that guy who owns Burley Oak is my hero. He got like laid off from his job about 12, 11 years ago. And he's like, fuck it. I'm going to open a brewery. Let's. What else could go wrong in my life? And had like, you know, was married, had a kid or two. Opened his own brewery. It's been wildly successful. Opened an additional like cafe thing in this in Berlin, Maryland is a tiny little town. They own this house that they rent as an Airbnb that we stayed in. And so, really, yeah. When you and it's all all there's this. T- it's a really small place, and you go there, and if you stay in the house, you get uh, a deal on kegs. So I have a keg at home, and uh, I'll, I'll be I put a lot of damage on that. And I had to buy other cans too, just like on you too. <laughs> but it was such a good deal. Uh, so yes, cheeseburger picnic. <laughs> Probably the dumbest connection I've made to the um, today. A, today for sure. <laughs> um, so uh, Lizzie story so came far. out in two thousand and six. Oh, I got another dumb one, but it's not as bad <laughs> as this. Um, came out in two thousand and six. It was Stephen King's like one hundred and eleventh novel. Give or take. Um, Ballpark, yeah. Give or take 50, that's accurate. (laughs) (laughs) That's a big window, but yes, that is accurate. For most authors, if you said give or take 50, that would include the numbers negative 40 (laughs) to 60. So this is, you know, pretty reasonable. So it came out in 2006, as I just said, I think. uh, And now they're making a show of it. It's like a limited series on uh, Apple. This is coming out the week of the last episode. Anyone watched any of it yet? I don't have Apple TV, and I'm not going to pay for Apple TV. I watched uh, the trailer. (laughs) (laughs) It stars Julianne Moore as Lisi. I looked at pictures of it. Yeah, that basically I got you know general like color grading ambiance of yeah. of it is very dark. Vibe. I thought it was on Showtime, so I didn't fucking know anything about the show except that it exists. <laughs> uh, but it came out because uh, he had this idea for the story when he in two thousand three got double pneumonia, which I didn't know was a thing. It's a sequel. Oh, <laughs> the pneumonia ing, um, <laughs> the new class. <laughs> <laughs> so he got double pneumonia, and while he was in the hospital, 
his wife redecorated and redesigned his studio, and he came back and saw all of his shit was in boxes, and he figured, this is what it looked like after I die. I read the version of this where he was like really high still from all like the morphine, and he w- and he wasn't very lucid, and he was like, did I die? Is this like <laughs> a fucking ghost to Christmas future thing? It's like when he comes home from getting his wisdom teeth out. Yeah. I was just supposed to have a lot of ice cream. Uh, so, yeah, then he finds the house. It's, like, different. Which, by the way, I don't know too much about uh, Tabitha King, but he's the money, he's the bread maker in this house. Like, mm. don't fuck with his workspace. Like, that could, you know, like... Well, she probably had to go looking for all of his cocaine. <laughs> in 2003, I think he was, like, off the cocaine. I think that was, like, really 80s king. <laughs> it, was, I mean, it was really coked up. And then 90s was when he was drinking a lot. I'm not sure <laughs> what was happening there. Who knows? As the author does. Oh, at one point. Well, just like any other Stephen King book, this features an author who is really cool. And it's clearly Stephen King. Or as how he wants himself to be seen. Because Scott Landon has won the Pulitzer Prize and the National Book Award and is a celebrated author that everyone wants to hear from all the time and loves doing public appearances. All the things that Stephen King wishes. That people will murder, basically... For his man, for his fucking draft papers after he dies, like that's a significant plot point. And Stephen King, I'm sure, would kind of like that, I and mean, kind of who wouldn't. But we'll get to that, I suppose. So Scott Landon is a character who's not really a character in the book. He's a character only in flashbacks and in the spirit world. But the flashbacks are almost more of the book, or at least in the second half, it's it's a lot. So yeah. He really is a character in the book, even though technically in sort of the timeline of the book, when the book starts, he's dead and he's already been dead for two years. But it's so much about him or more so much about his wife's remembering their time together in different weird things. Oh, right. It's another one of those Stephen King books where the women can't exist without a man. (laughs) Is that a thing in Stephen King books? What? Like... Every Stephen King book, the female characters are just useless shells. Oh, like some of them. And all the ones we've read. This one is not so much that she's a useless shell. I thought this was his most developed female character, at least of the ones that I've read. Oh, easily. Yeah, but that's yeah. because she didn't just talk about her jahoobies. <laughs> I mean, I, I highlighted some choice Stephen King lines in this book, but this, this one was not as bad. As uh, as some other ones, but it still wasn't great. She still is a female character that can only exist in her husband's memories, like and in her husband's memorabilia. And, like that's the whole beginning. The first quarter of the book is sifting through the shit in, in his study and just being like, "Oh yeah, I was there for that." <laughs> that's a lot of the book. Certainly. Well, let's get through what actually happens in the book. So the book starts with um, Lisi. She is sort of just starting to go through her husband's belongings or uh, husband's like studio, writing studio. You know, it's not an art studio or music studio. Uh, Her husband's writing studio and sort of trying to pack up some of his papers because there are some like colleges and college professors who are like coming by and like, hey, it's been two years. Do you think we could get a look at some of those unpublished things and so she's kind of remembering that and she is doing a lot of you know reminiscing but it's been like two years and she hasn't gotten to it so she's finally doing it uh her older sister amanda is there who is crazy but you know that one um, is in con- what the fuck is that word in- they call in- them the in- conks, which sounds like a 
a tribe from Canada. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the Incanabulum? In, in, in Incanabulum. That's the word, yeah. I have that's, no idea. That's what they want. Even though I don't think that's really the right word, because Incanabulum is like early printed works from like the 1500s. <laughs> but like, she just, they just want his fucking manuscripts. But she's like, these goddamn Incunks. The, the Incunks are like the people who are like his crazy fans, like the uh, zealots. Well, those were the, the deep space cowboys. Oh, yeah, those too. He's got a lot of choice terms that he made up. Uh, Lisi, she's sifting through all these things and finds a whole collection, uh, a whole like sort of drawer or box of just uh, newspaper clippings and magazine articles where Lisi is sort of in the background. And clearly Scott has kind of like labeled them as, you know, like, yeah, here's one where they didn't even mention her. But anyway, she he's been dead for two years. And and then there's a whole thing about the the shovel or the spade, I think the thing is called, where she gradually root gets around to remembering the time in 19... Uh, so they were married in 1979, which is also going to be an important year, but somewhere around, like, five years later, after he'd won... Love Smashing Pumpkins. There's a lot I of like infinite sadness in this book. <laughs> Definitely. I think She's the remembering attack is in 88. 88, there yeah. we go. So after he had become famous and won uh, at least one of his awards, probably both um, famous, he was giving... He had used already on the doing tons of talks at colleges and lots of public appearances. In this particular public appearance, he was, they gave him a shovel so that he could dig, do like the first shovel of dirt in the new library at the university. I think it was Tennessee. Mm -hmm. And they're Tennessee. And in this like public thing, a crazy guy, which he did mention Mark David Chapman, like decides to literally, he's just crazy and raving. And he goes up to Scott and shoots him. And Lisi, because she's literally holding the shovel, because he had just done the first shovelful and then like posed for pictures. Then he's like, "Here, honey, hold this for me while I, you know, shake hands with people." And she hits the guy, hits the guy's arm and the gun, and like basically she saves his life, even though he face. does get shot. Uh, Scott does get shot in the chest. Yeah, like she, she like hits him. She brains him. <laughs> she fucking um, beans him in the head with that shovel. But the photographer didn't catch that moment. They, the photographer catches the moment two seconds later where Lisi is out of the frame. And instead, it's the security guard who, and who somehow who gets all the credit for saving Scott, even though he actually didn't do anything. Actually, Lisi did it. Lisi did it. But then, so like that, that's like a big story, the big story that she's remembering, like this particular event. But you find out through some like subtle hints that it was that there's something else weird going on, something sort of magical. You know, so, whereas, like, the nurse wanted to know, like, first, he heals really fast. He, like, probably should have died from this, but he didn't. Um, and there's like, where did he go? Like, at one point, he, like, disappears from his hotel, uh, home hotel, hospital bed, <laughs> hospital room. He checked But that's out. only barely hinted at at the beginning. You kind of find out more, like, halfway through, like, no, he, like, disappeared and then sort of reappeared there. He has a tendency to vanish for little bits at a time, which is going to be very important. So different. And so like, that's like one big part of the book is, is Lisi remembering all these things. And eventually she's, but she's also trying to not remember because there were very scary, disturbing memories that uh, of basically Scott's past, which are going to be kind of crazy. But at the same time, uh, she gets a phone call 
and this is before cell phones, I guess, though, I can say that in It was rural, early cell phones. I, I can say that in um, rural New England in 2006, cell phone service was not all that great. So, you know, I can understand. I can say from personal experience. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyway, a, she gets a message on the office answering machine, and the message is from a, like, guy with a very thick accent is just like, the first, he just says, I'll try again later. She's yeah. Like, that was a weirdo. And then she moves on because there's a whole bunch of other bullshit. And then 50 pages With her later, sister, she gets like, him on the phone. Yeah. So, but okay. In between. So at the same time, like literally the same day this thing is happening, her her sister like uh, doesn't try and kill herself. She's like, she's a cutter. She's like cutting herself. That's she's one, a catatonic. As, yeah. She becomes catatonic as well. But um, basically she, the, the, the guy calls back and says, you need to pack, you know, give all of the uh, unpublished works to, and then she names the particular uh, Woodbody. Woodbody, that's right. He's from Scott's College of Pittsburgh or whatever the fuck. And he's just like, I really want that box and he of papers. threatens her. He says, you better do it. And then he basically threatens, I will come to your house and I will rape you, is what he says. And But he says it in a weird way. What was it? Jovial Southern way. Yeah. Not, so I'll do not that joke. You, you I'll get you where they wouldn't, you wouldn't let anybody touch at the junior high dance or some weird yeah. poetic thing. Something very Stephen Kingish. Yes. Yep. So she like gets that. She like, and she just says to the guy, oh, fuck off. And then hangs up the phone because she has to go to her sister's house because her sister is like, there's blood everywhere and, and she's like catatonic because her sister had, you know, boy troubles. And that's a kind of, and so she's dealing with that. And uh, at the same time, also remembering, like having these weird like moments where she thinks Scott is there and like talking to her. But in, then you get these broad hints about his very strange, his very strange childhood. And something that is definitely the, the part where the actual like magic comes in. Uh, yeah, so she like starts to get these little hints, and then eventually she remembers. Oh, well, she remembers like first meeting him, and that he was she really liked him, but that he was definitely kind of strange in this weird event where he punched a plate glass window. Well, he stood her up, and right, for he stood day, her up for a while. Like, you piece of shit, and she chews him out for like hours. It feels like she's just going. Like, first, she's like, "How fucking dare you!" I work and I'm waiting for your bitch ass. And then like when she kind of like re-emerges in the moment, she's like criticizing his fingernails. <laughs> she's just like, <laughs> she's like worked her way down from the gross <laughs> details to the very minute details. And then he's like, all right, you get right. And he just like walks away. He's like, you know, what? he's just hold on a second. And he walks away and then he comes back and his whole arm is just like lacerated because he punched it through a greenhouse. Looks like a cheeseburger. Like a cheeseburger picnic. (laughs) (laughs) But he had it in the dark. (laughs) And so he's like, I did this for you. And she's like, that's not a red flag. I'll marry this guy. (laughs) Like That was a ridiculous fuck. Please, I'm I'm an award-winning author. And this is how I communicate. (laughs) Well, then he put it in some tea. Yeah, blood tea. It's like, get get me tea bags. And he soaks his arm in tea like tea like tea bags in a in in water and 
He's like, oh yeah, no, uh, we this the Landons heal fast, and this is one of the this is one of the tricks. And she's like, wow, that's weird, but okay. And but then he the says, next day, he was my brother told me about this, and she's like, you have a brother? He's like, oh, he's dead. And she's like, oh, that's good to know. Like, and that's like the first clue. Like something weird has happened in his childhood that he just never mentions that that she didn't know. They've been dating at this point for months, and she didn't know he had a deceased brother who at least made it to an age where he could theorize about the healing properties of tea. <laughs> like, it's not like he died of fucking diphtheria. Like, that's a child who made it to adolescence. It's a weird, it's a weird clue. And she's like, huh, weird. Bedtime. Because she's a lady in a Stephen King book. So, uh... <laughs> what, is that wrong? No, <laughs> that's, that's kind of true, yeah. I was just trying to remember what happens next. So eventually... It's so hard to remember because it bounces back so much. It, it switches back and forth between timelines and and chapters end mid-sentence. It's like it. Like a lot. He did that in it. All, every chapter in it ended mid-sentence. It's a very Stephen King thing. Yeah. Oh, I, I and there would be random chapters that, that were a sentence or two. You know, you have a chapter that's like... Well, there was like one or two Eight in this pages, one. and then there's like a chapter that's three sentences. And you're like, why did that have to be its own chapter? A lot of times the chapters that end mid-sentence would be someone beginning to remember something, and then the next chapter is the actual memory, but the sentence starts over with what that person was saying. So it's like jumping into someone's brain. That's exactly like It. It did that all the time. Yeah. The novel It, capital I It, (laughs) did that. That's how every chapter, because every chapter would be like, I think I'm remembering a thing from 27 years ago. It started with finger banging in the next chapter. (laughs) The sewers were Oh, great. that's the end, yeah. <laughs> that's the most memorable. How do you not remember that part of the book? Oh, I remember that part, yeah. I don't know if they use their fingers, though. Uh, but yeah. Uh, well, I have this beer. It doesn't really... We should bring this up because it, there's, it's the plot's so non-linear, it doesn't matter. But turns out Scott's got a bit of a secret. He goes... When he vanishes, he goes somewhere else. And... Uh, Sometimes as vanishing tends to work. <laughs> he sometimes he'll bring Lisi with him to their now this I did this wrong because I I thought this was the wrong title, but he brings her to her <laughs> shared universe with his girl crush Lisi. This is Graf's series called Shared Universe, which is a collaboration series, which they did with this one is with Talia and it's called Girl Crush. Not what a girl crush is, but I don't care. And it is a Paloma Gosa cider. It's got apples, grapefruit, lime, agave, hibiscus, cold-pressed grapefruit oil, and sea salt. Grapefruit oil sounds like a fucking health supplement an old person takes. Ooh! Interesting. It's pretty good. Can you help me distinguish between the grapefruit oil and the grapefruit juice flavors? Uh, this is cold-pressed grapefruit yeah, oil. Yeah, that, that's another So one. that's different, again, from regular grapefruit oil in some way I couldn't tell you. Hot grapefruit oil is different. Hot grapefruit oil is a song by Parliament. That's, that's yes, a very different thing. it is. Uh, this tastes like juice because it's a... It's a cider. I mean, it is a cider, so it is really a juice. Uh, it's good. It tastes like fruit. Luckily, it doesn't taste like grapefruit very much because I hate that. But it is very uh, light and festive and very summery. And how strong is this? 27%. No. 
six, seven, I don't know, something like that. It's oh, tiny. Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> it was 27%. I was like, this is a bottle of rum. If you were able to just pound 27%, I mean, I've seen you pound a lot of things. Not all of them cock. And if that's you were because usually you're facing the other way. Oh, it's, <laughs> um, well, that's because I can't bear to watch it when you do those things to my mother. I'll, I'll throw her under the bus before I let you cornhole me in this story. Uh, <laughs> for you to pound a 27% alcohol, anything, uh, that would be impressive in a sad, in an in a impressive, in a we need to have an intervention kind of way, <laughs> but impressive. Yeah, that's fair. No, this is like, it's like a nice cider. It's it's good because it's hot and none of us can use our air conditioners or fans right now because it's too loud and I need this. But you know what we do need? Yeah, we do. You know we could use since we can't really uh, immediately upgrade our HVAC systems to accommodate <laughs> the podcast. But if you do want to uh, support the podcast in other ways, uh, you could, of course, do that by leaving a review wherever you're listening and, of course, telling your friends and all those things. But if you head over to patreon.com slash drunk guys book club, you could become a supporter of the podcast in one of those like financial ways like people who listen to NPR do. But we won't send you a tote bag. We'll send you other things like early access to episodes, exclusive content, getting to vote in our monthly book poll, and, of course, physical goods like a Drunk Guys Book Club podcast uh, glass. Fucking can't say it. And is it, glass. Is it so good? It defies words. <laughs> and uh, other swag. So head over there if you're so interested in doing so. So, Lisi. At this point, you know, the story bounces back and forth a lot. So the next sort of big thing that you find out in the book is where they are, uh, Scott and Lisi are going to get married, but like not long after the incident with him, like breaking the window, uh, but they are going to get married and they decide to go to some little vacation spot in New Hampshire to try to just to like, you know, have a thing. Did you call it front loaded? But... Was that the term he used? Anyway, so, but really what Scott is going to do is actually um, say, like, okay, I need to tell you about my family and how fucked up they are and why, like, we just can't have kids because our, because craziness runs in our family. So this is one of the memories that she's avoiding thinking about or avoided thinking about for years because... It's very, very painful because um, of telling about his previous story. And she jumps back and forth, like, in sort of, like, three or four different sections of the narrative of, of the book of, like, remembering this time. And here's this part of his childhood. And then other stuff happens. And then she's like, oh, and then later that day or later that night, he told me this. And then, oh, later that night, this thing. So Scott's family, basically, he says, like, there is an element of craziness that everyone gets. And then... Someone, some are crazier than others, but well, okay. It, there's definitely something. This is like the magical. It's almost like there's a curse on the family kind of thing, where some people, where uh, it, some people in the family, they just get this thing called, and they're from like the backwoods of was it Pennsylvania? Pennsylvania. I think it was Pennsylvania. Yeah. Or from the backwoods of Pennsylvania. So they, the, this father who's like completely crazy, just calls it the bad gunky. It's just. And it's just the word for, like, complete insan- murderous insanity can just, like, come over you. And It's like a infection, like a physical infection that causes you to lose your mind. Yes, like, completely. So you have to cut yourself to let it out. Like, bleeding, like the old days. You know, first he says, the first thing that he just sort of mentions in what I think is probably the last line of a, of a chapter is, like, and I, you know, and I, and I killed my father... 
No, first she first he, he says, you know, my later. brother is dead. You know, I, my brother died. My father killed him. It's like, and then he says that, and I killed my father. And it's like, oh, that's. And then there's sort of more more to that story. And then and his he father says, before him. <laughs> <laughs> and then he says, oh, that wasn't murder. That was a mercy. We he had to, and he used the term euthanasia, like he he had to, and then he tells this really like really harrowing story of when Scott was what was he six six the older brother the older brother Paul who was like ten or eleven you know not yeah not not old by any means um just and this is the older brother oh I should probably talk about the the bull hunt. So the older brother used to do this thing, which was sort of like a scavenger hunt, but he called it a bull hunt. And there were like all these little clues. The brother used to set up this thing, little clues for Scott to like find the things. And he called it the bull. And then after it'd be like a prize at the end. And this is just a thing that his brother did. And Scott loved his older brother. But at this, but at one point, this one day when Scott is six, his brother gets gets the bad gunky and goes completely crazy and just is basically possessed. It's like he's possessed by a demon and they, his, his father has to chain Paul up in the basement and they, he's there and they have like chained up there for a couple of weeks, hoping that he will just kind of get better or just kind of get over it. He's chained there and he just starts kind of like deteriorating as, you know, I guess, would happen if you're just chained up at the basement also he wouldn't eat his vegetables so he got scurvy <laughs> yeah he'd, he'd eat everything except vegetables or something like that he had but, all the cheeseburgers but though. it's also just kind of like an animal this at this point more and more correct <laughs> and uh, at first i was thinking uh, when i was reading this part i'm like is is this actual crazy is this actual like something magical like some magical evil possession or is this just the father being incredibly abusive but no 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 it was actually the first one it was actually some sort of demonic possession kind of thing he starts to physically change also or it's like his mouth gets too big he can like unhinge his jaw like a snake and he's got a million teeth and he's going to try and eat them well i don't you know, think creepy shit bad gunky wasn't added to the the DSM until the 4th edition i think so it was it was hair it was a little vague when the book came out. You know, it's tough to diagnose. It's it's very yeah, it's very <laughs> difficult. A lot of false positives. Uh, you know, when you said gunky. DSM, I was thinking you meant like some sort of D and D thing, like a dungeon master's guide. It was like, what does this mean? I don't understand. But I forgot that was a psychology thing. Oh yeah. I, I have no I can't remember what it's it's, it's, it's I don't know. I think Ma- it is Ma- DSM, M yeah. is manual, I think. I don't yeah. know what the other one is. Diagnostic syndromes. Special manual. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> psychology manual. They spell it wrong. It's it's to throw off people. <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. It's Must phonetic. Be. It's a phonetic it's acronym. A, because some people can't read. I have no idea. But I'm pretty sure it's a DSM, right? That's that's the psychology one. Nate Nate would know this. I feel like I do know it, but I can't uh, think. What of the fuck? Right we now. all I'm googling it. Diagnostic and statistical manual of mental disorders. DSM. Booyah! They just leave off the last part. It's just too many letters at that point. <laughs> The DSMMD, just, it's, it's hard to say, apparently. So, um, <laughs> after that digression, don't you have a beer, Nate? Drink your beer. 
<laughs> I do have a beer. Okay, so this one actually is the same same kind of same kind of th- same kind of reason that uh, Jimmy used same connection that Jimmy used. We're getting to the part where I'm going to explain the sort of magical, uh, the magical imagined reality that Scott can go to and brings Lisi to. This is imagined reality by threes. This is a Galaxy India Pale Ale. That is 6.8% alcohol. It's very nice. Yeah. No, the else is good. It's not... I mean, there are, it's sort of three's version of the really juicy IPA thing, but it's not... They're not going for the exact same thing as, as, as Finback and other half are, are trying to do. So, But it's a little bit different. You could call it simpler, perhaps, but it's nice. It's very nice. Notes of pineapple, I would say. It's also a little bit bitter, but Hints no, I like it. It's good. So Scott talks about how you know wh- how he's fought, how he killed, how his father had to kill his brother because they like were trying to do some sort of cure, but obviously it wasn't going to work. And then his brother starts to like escape. He tries to like, get out of his chains, and so the father literally just takes his gun and shoots Paul in the head and kills him. But then Scott buries Paul, but not in the real world, but actually in this, like, magical alternate reality or imagined reality that he calls Booyah Moon. And it's kind of, it's a kind of a strange, weird, like, fairyland almost, I would I would describe it. And it's where Paul, I mean, uh, Scott can actually, like, go there like physically and that's actually where he can disappear to at times and where he disappeared to that time when he was in the hospital back in Tennessee. And so and that's so he can actually like go there and he also does Scott, you know, in all of his talks, he talks about the pool. He talks about this pool where language and stories come from. And he's in his, you know, speaking engagements, he always is, seems to be referring to it as a metaphor for how he writes but actually, to Scott, it isn't a metaphor at all. It's actually, there is a physical, like, pool there that he goes to. And I guess when he is trying to write, and in fact, all of his stories kind of come from this magical other world that he can, that he can go to. So he, like, buries his brother there and then does mention, but doesn't explain exactly what happened until the very end, does mention that, oh, and... The long boy? That well, I was, I was going to bring that up. But he does mention that he, that Scott had to kill his own father, just weeks later, months later, and that buried his father somewhere. His body was never found. I don't know. And the kid was six. He threw his body down a well because his dad was his dad was also turning possessed, and he knew that he couldn't stop it this time because it was bad. So he drank himself to sleep and told the kid, "Kill me." So he smashes his face in with a pickaxe while he's asleep. I mean, yeah. It's, it's, it's a little different than typical kindergarten. You normally don't have to tie your shoes. <laughs> <laughs> so this is what he tells her about under the tree in their pre-honeymoon in New Hampshire. And But does actually bring her there. Like somehow he's able to transport, transport her there so she can like kind of see it for herself, but she's only there like kind of briefly, but then she'll actually go back a couple of times in her life later 
to sort of help him or save him or actually to save her sister Amanda. So that's where sort of like the whole thing is being introduced. And this takes like a long time, like a lot of the book to actually like get to all of this, all this stuff going on to explain all of this. purposely avoiding it for most of the book. She's purposely avoiding remembering and then conveniently does remember. Meanwhile, the crazy guy does show okay she calls the professor the crazy guy is going to show up at her house but she he actually kills does her call cat first called oh yeah she finds cat. a she finds a dead cat uh a, a, a she's like don't be a pussy give me those papers <laughs> it's a metaphor but the guy's like illiterate like he sends he leaves a letter that was typed with his foot <laughs> and it i mean he clearly meant to like you know be threatening but it wasn't actually her cat because she doesn't have any. It was a, clearly a neighbor's cat. So he's he's clearly not that smart. He drives a PT Cruiser, Nate. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That's the biggest assault the, on taste of all. So you know he's a douchebag. He's <laughs> <laughs> just PT Cruiser in 2006. It's really compact. It's great for murdering livestock. <laughs> At this point, she finally is like, oh... This guy, I forgot about this because of my sister going crazy and having to put her in a mental, mental institution. And she calls a pro, calls a professor, Professor Wood, Wood Woodcock Buddy. Johnson or whatever his name is. It's the guy from NPR. Was that something Wood Johnson Foundation that always sponsors NPR programs? Robert Wood Johnson, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and says, you need to like call this guy. Zach McCool is the name that he gives her at first. Call him. And tell him to stop because he's threatening me. He murdered a cat and put it in my mailbox. And the professor is like, well, uh, sorry, but I can't contact him. He's not. He gave me an email address that like doesn't seem to work anymore. Because I guess email was a new thing for Stephen King in 2006. So he thought it was a pretty neat idea. Gmail.net. <laughs> <laughs> but like, also the professor is never like, Oh, yeah, that was wrong of me, wasn't it? To sick a fucking for hire sociopath on you so I could have first dibs on your husband's unpublished work. Uh, anyway, so the president's like, oh, we just can't fix it. So she does call the police, and the police, like, try to watch her house, you know, try and protect her a bit. You know, she's, you know, the the widow of the world-famous author that kind the of world's lives greatest in this author. tiny little town. That lives in this tiny little town in rural Maine, in western Maine. So there's, like, nothing else there. But the police, but there's just, like, a couple of police officers for, like, this whole big area. They can't, you know, just watch your house all the time. So eventually, one has to, the guy watching has to leave. I think they hint that he, that the, the Zach McCool, the crazy guy, he sets a fire somewhere yeah. else just to get the police to leave. And then he comes in, and then... She tries to, like, talk him out of doing anything. Just like, oh, just go away. But inst- but it doesn't work because he's crazy and not actually rational. So he, like, beats her in the face a bunch of times and then takes a can opener and mutilates her breast, which is particularly... Stephen King. Particularly <laughs> disturbing and very, like, oh, only Stephen King would think of that. So this is where this is where the book kind of lost me a little bit because she doesn't 
just call the police and we're like, the police do come back. And they're like, oh, all right. And just kind of shouting up to her in her room. Are you, are you up there? Are you okay? And then instead of her saying, he was here and he assaulted me, she's, she's like, oh, I'm fine. And she's like, I'm going to take care of this myself. I've got a plan. Which is like, come on. Even if you have this like magical power thing to visit Booyah Moon. I mean, <laughs> whatever. The unsuccessful spinoff to Sailor Moon. <laughs> <laughs> Even if you have this magical power, like, I'm like, really? You'd probably call the police at this point. Yeah, probably. Whatever. I mean, but this... When she had already called them once before. It's not like... He was there, and instead of saying, help me, I've been assaulted, take me to the hospital, she's like, oh, I'm fine. I'll take care of it. And she manages to, like, heal herself a bit with that same, like, magical tea power that... Scott has. I'm like, oh, all right, sure. And then hatches this plan. Well, she goes to back to Booyah Moon on her own. That's where you yes. heal. And then she drinks from the pool and heals her boob wound. Her boob wound. And you know, I bet she. I bet she really would. If she had there was a beer. Probably. She has get a bike for, it in that mix. Get ready beer, for right? a dumb one. Uh, <laughs> and I bet you know she, she. I don't know how old she is exactly. She's like forty. She's in her fifties. Is she in your 50s? Because it's hard to keep track of like the flashbacks versus the current timeline because it is kind of weavy. Uh, but, you know, she's like, I'm a widow. I should be hanging out. Maybe I should just be sitting around wearing some fuzzy slippers. I shouldn't be <laughs> dealing with this bullshit. These are fuzzy slippers. <laughs> this is fuzzy slippers. <laughs> this is a vanilla smoothie imperial stout with lactose. Oof. Made by Burley Oak. It's a perfect thing to drink on a fucking 98 degree day. Yeah. How strong is it? You know, it's only only uh, 8.7. Wow. I haven't seen a stout under 10 in a long time. I mean, they exist. I just or don't I haven't buy seen them usually. you drink a stout. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. That's true, yeah. This is the only stout they had at Burley Oak, and I was like, I better try it just to get a sense of what you make, because I can't only drink IPAs. Can I? I guess I can. Uh, but this is great. Um, I think Burley Oak, you know, Burley Oak has done quite a few collaborations with Evil Twin New York City, which, side note, tomorrow they're putting out a quadruple IPA if you're interested. Um, That's a lot of eyes. 20, uh, 24, 12.5% alcohol IPA coming out tomorrow. <laughs> but they've done a lot of collaborations together. And Evil Twin gets kind of sneered at by some brewers for just like dumping all sorts of shit into their beer, like beers with Mountain Dew syrup and stuff like that. Half the time, those are collaborations at Burley Oak. And Burley Oak does the same shit because this beer is made with vanilla smoothie mix, which I'm not sure what that even means. I guess it's like some sort of powdered or liquid, you know, soda fountain mix that they put in. Vanilla smoothie? Like a smoothie is normally like vegetables, isn't it? Oh, it could be a fruit thing, but I also could... I'm sure they like sell, you know, just the vanilla flavoring. Yeah, something like a hot chocolate packet. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's like a different thing. Not to say that's a bad or inferior method of making beer, because this is quite delicious. But I think some brewers tend to kind of have a line of like, that's too easy, or that's too simple, or we want to try it. We want to try to do something a little different. I, as long as it tastes good, I'll drink it. I don't give a shit what they do to make it. Can be yeah. more like the the blood of the innocent. It's like whatever, as long as it tastes, <laughs> as long as it tastes good, it lets me forget who what's in it. <laughs> you know? 
Well, this is great. It really does taste like a vanilla chocolate smoothie thing. Um, I just wish I had. I just wish it was December because <laughs> this is ridiculously <laughs> hot to be drinking. <laughs> Sitting in an unair conditioned room in the summer, drinking a stout. It's a big sweaty man just drinking a drinking De- a dehydrating twice as fast. Oh, it's brutal! Oh my god, it's like it's a, got all, all that surface area. <laughs> uh, but this is great. Uh, so two for two on. Uh, I actually prefer this to the cheeseburger picnic, though I drank the whole thing because I was so goddamn thirsty. Uh, <laughs> Berlio, good job. But she doesn't get to wear her fuzzy slippers. No. Instead, she has to plot an interdimensional uh, killing, as people are wont to do. It's like a very uh, ups- upscale version of Home Alone. <laughs> it's like a very yeah, advanced. Kind of. This is my house. I have to defend it with long boys. Suck a dick, wet bandits. <laughs> yeah, in in Buya Moon, there's like a monster thing that there's like a monster thing that you know. Oh, you don't want to be there at night, even though the daytime and nighttime is not the same as the real world. But anyway, you don't want to be there at night because of because of Scott's long boy, <laughs> which he uses that term quite quite often. <laughs> Scott's long boy, which only comes out at night. <laughs> Come on, Stephen King. You didn't think of this? No, he thought of it. It's like a dune sandworm, or the ones from Beetlejuice. Oh, it's on the planet. It's on now. Was that Neptune or Saturn? Where in Beetlejuice? Uh, I think it was Saturn. Maybe. Yeah, something like that. Maybe it's the same one. Who knows? Not us. (laughs) So at this point, we're kind of only... I mean, I guess we are more than halfway through, but there's like kind of a lot. We're probably three quarters through. Okay. It still felt like there was kind of a lot to go through at this point. So she goes to, so Lisi goes to visit her the next day. This is like the next day. And she's actually like significantly healed even after being beaten and mutilated. She's she's not totally better, but she looks mostly passable because she did this magical healing thing with Booyah Moon. And so she's like, I'm going to fix, I'm going to heal my sister. With the same thing, so she gets in the car and drives to the mental institution that her sister is at and goes and sits with her outside and then sort of like holds her hand, even though her sister is completely catatonic, and brings her to Booyah Moon and this like magical thing. And her Do sister, we mentioned gets that the sister healed. has like the husband has spoken through the sister earlier in the book. Yes, that was one of the things in the beginning, close to the beginning, the beginning of the book, where it's like, I thought. I thought Scott was speaking to me. At that point in the book, you don't know if Lisi yeah. is just imagining it or if it was really happening. So I wasn't sure what to make of it. Exactly. Because Lisi's narration yes. kind of goes, you know, at least the way it was kind of formatted in the ebook, it's like she's like stuff is happening and then it'll cut off mid sentence or mid thought. And there's like a new line that just kind of says something and then like a response, almost like a dialogue. But it's not really crediting who's doing what, which makes the beginning of the book kind of confusing. But you quickly realize it's her talking when this happens to her husband. But like she, she kind of thinks, and you think too, it's in her head, which I think we talked about on the episode of Frank is a very common thing for people to do. Um, and you know, like your partner dies after many years, you just kind of like imagine that they're still there. You kind of have conversations with them even if they're not there. Mm. So that's what you think is happening. But then there are a couple of times where. There's like someone else around, and it's like, wait, 
whose voice was that I just heard? And then just wait 600 pages. You'll find out. (laughs) (laughs) Calm those (laughs) Jehoobies. The answers are coming. It's not quite 600, but it is is a lot. Um, So she, uh, Lisi is able to literally like transport her sister to Booyah Moon and heal her. And then they sort of like get then transported back to the real world, but they're not in the place they were, which is out on the lawn in the mental institution. They're somewhere else. They're like they're out in the, the parking car. lot. Yeah. So they're like, uh, we could go back inside and just say, Hey, how's it going? But instead let's just get in the car and drive away and leave all our stuff here. Like that doesn't kind of make sense, but well, they needed. She needed to get her sister out because she needed her sister to help her ambush the dude. But if she went back in to get the stuff, then they wouldn't let her sister go because she's still technically right under yes. lockdown because mm-hmm. she was completely catatonic. And just because she suddenly Got stopped better. being catatonic five minutes ago, they don't just let you out of the mental institution, you know, after getting better after five minutes. So, um, yeah, that makes sense. So they're like, I need your help because this guy is coming after me and I need your help. And Amanda's like, well, I've got a gun, so let's get that. <laughs> and then, even though the gun doesn't really help very much, a little bit. So, and then like, we're, here's the plan. We are going to tell, we're going to tell the guy or we're going to tell the professor to call the guy to tell the guy to meet us at, in the study at 8 p.m. It's like an episode of Clue. <laughs> um, in the study with the gun with the long PM. boy so they so they like make the plan to meet him there and she's still having like mem- flashback memories in between but she sort of the guy meets him there and he like kind of goes crazy and tries to attack her tries to attack Lisi but she's able to just like boop and like pop them into the like the uh, the other world the imagined reality and then sort of leads him away to get eaten by the long boy. Mm. And then that, and then he's gone. He's just gone. And that's sort of the resolution. That's the, basically the resolution of the, of the plot, except there's still well, it's the resolution kind of, of a lot. what is really this. It's kind of like a subplot. It's the main, like physical antagonist. Yes. But you're the right. Plot is really, because she, her... she does also, uh, whether it's slightly before or slightly after this, go to back to Booyah Moon and she sees Scott there. Because like, there are just like people who just kind of are, I guess, dead and now live in this world, but they're just sort of standing there. That and was she a tries flashback. to talk to him. So it was a flashback to... When no, he went, okay. There that was multiple when he went cata- almost catatonic back in the bad winter. Back in and the she got him so out. That, she got him out. That, that is one thing. But then she goes back this time also, and he's there. And she tries to get him to come back with her. But then he's, he, like, can't or won't. He's able mm. to say a little bit, but can't really talk. But he kind of can't or won't. And then she, like, there's, you're right, that is part of the plot, except times before. But anyway, there's still a bunch of the book left, which... There's still one final chapter, which is very long which is basically the end of the bull hunt because the very beginning of the book, even though you have no idea what this means at the beginning of the book, where uh, Lisi is thinking like, oh, like at one of the very, very beginning when she's going through Scott's stuff, like this is some sort of like bull hunt, like his, like his brother did, even though you don't know what that means. It's not explained to later that she's finally able to like put together all these little like scavenger hunt clues and finally brings her to 
back to Booyah Moon to the place uh, right where, right next to where his brother is buried in the dream world. And she finds his last piece of writing, which is really him explaining. And I don't know why Stephen King left this till the end of the book. It's like, but explaining <laughs> like why, or the story of why he killed his own father at the age of six, which is, you know, uh, hit him in the head with a pickaxe. Yep. Uh, and sort of explaining what that was like. And this is literally the last thing he wrote and it's, but it's been sitting here in this dream world for, you know, two years. If, if time matters in that world, which I guess it doesn't, but, and then she reads this final story of him explaining this last incredibly traumatic thing that happened to him in his childhood. And then after that, she's like, I finally found the final thing. And then she's like, well, I guess this is done now. Except she's able, now she's much more conscious or of these memories of Booyah Moon. And she keeps sort of like going back by accidentally or on purpose. And she's almost half living there instead of the real world. But she's able to finally find closure, you know, emotional closure with her husband dying. And then that's uh, the end of the book. And she donates all of his works to the university nearby. And not, not clears the out fucking... his house. Not to the not, shitty guy. Not wood guy. Wood body. Yep. She calls the local university and it's like, hey, do you guys want all my husband's like unpublished, unpublished writing? It's like, yep, we'll be down there later today to pick <laughs> them all up in boxes. <laughs> okay, great. And so they... I hope she included the, the joke book he left. It's, it's whole like bound manuscript with like a fancy title and then you open it up and it's all blank. Or it was like, one word. Ike comes home. By Scott Landon, and then she opens it. And it's like Ike came home. It was cool. The end. And it's like a thousand pages in a box, and they're all just blank. Like he planned because he died unexpectedly. He just planned that shit. That's just in case you die, you want to leave behind a joke. It's a fucking good move, man. Go out with a bang. That's what I got most from this book. It's like I need to. I need to start thinking about that. You need to start. <laughs> well, that's what got him seats. start thinking about that. It was. What happens after I die? I just have fewer mentions of Jahoobies. That's really The it. world will be a weaker place without mentions of Jahoobies. Or just the word Jahoobies, really. I think we're doing a good job of keeping it alive. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I think we are uh, carrying on his legacy. <laughs> not, that he's, not that Stephen King is dead yet. No. So I've not watched the show. I have no intention of watching it because I'm not going to pay money for almost Apple anything. TV. But... The book was fine. I felt it was way fucking too long. That's normal for Stephen King. Which is normal. Yeah, that's true. That's normal for Stephen King. And as Nate mentioned on one of our Stephen King episodes, I think it was it, that no no editor will tell. It's, it's, he's so successful, no editor would say, I don't agree with your choice to include all this. Well, actually, he wrote in the author's note at the end, I highlighted oh, I this that. part because I knew this would come up. He said, he wrote this, Nan Graham edited this book. Quite often, reviewers of novels, especially novels of people who usually sell great numbers of books, will say, so-and-so would have benefited from actual editing. To those tempted to say that about Lise, to say that about Lisey's story, I would happy to submit sample pages for my first draft manuscript, complete with Nan's notes. I had first-year French essays that came back cleaner. So it was even a bigger, longer mess. This is the after party. Which, well, he does, that doesn't quite answer the question, like, 
if Stephen King wasn't so successful, an editor could be like, you need to cut all of this shit, or you just need to like cut down all of these details and side stories. Like, you could have gotten rid of the entire plot of the sister. That could have been cut out. The sister was a huge part of the story. It could have been. Like, I, we well, don't they reveal mean... at the end that she and Scott were like friends because they knew that they were both travelers could, to this that place. Could and... have been, that could have been replaced with something much simpler. I mean, he could have cut a bunch of the fluff and like side shit and like descriptions and thirty-nine and pages that. of getting but hit by I a think, shovel. Yeah, well, the story about the story, the sister stuff was, I think, important. Everything could have been trimmed, but I think that added a lot. I actually um, enjoyed the book quite a bit, and in, in terms of the Stephen King books we've read, I think I I think this is the one I've enjoyed the most. And I would say, even though it has a it, Stephen King is doing the thing where he's being very imaginative and creating all of these details about everybody's backstory and everybody, you know, and creating, you know, life for everybody and all these events that happen to them. That is the thing that Stephen King does a lot of. And I mind, I didn't mind it in this book, actually in, in, uh, fucking the stand. I could uh, I could not stand how much of that fucking <laughs> yeah. shit was in there in this stand. I was so like, oh my god, I just don't care in this book because it is a more focused story on just one thing. Even though it jumps around in time quite a bit, I actually didn't mind it. I minded it a lot less. I mean, I think also. I mean, it is a five hundred and twenty nine pages. It could still have been shorter, but I minded it a lot less. I thought this was actually pretty pretty enjoyable. Jimmy, what do you think? You're the biggest fan here. Uh, I actually read this a long time ago, and I was 18 or 19, and I didn't like it as much then. But I thought it I thought it was much better this time as an older person who's just you know experienced things and you know shit like that. When you're a kid, you know like the idea of like coming to terms with your husband's death is not something you can really understand or figure out. Not that it's happened to me, but you can... Your underst- husband's still very much alive. My husband is very much alive. Uh, but it's something... I, th- I thought this was easily his most heartfelt book. I could see that. I think that it was much... In terms of like... I, I like Stephen King a lot. I know his writing style is distinctive and sometimes absurd, I thought this was probably the best written if you're going for like readability and not worrying too much like this fucking Stephen King stuff. I thought this was something that everyone could kind of, even if you don't like Stephen King, I thought, especially you two, I thought you guys would enjoy it more than the other Stephen Kings. It doesn't suffer, I thought, from as much from the same stuff that the others that you guys don't like. My feeling is... You know, that's his mode of writing is creating a lot of details and backstory for his characters and, you know, uh, having a lot of important stuff that happens to them, as far as it happened to them in the past. This time, or because he wrote this in 2004, he wasn't just on cocaine when he wrote The Stand. (laughs) And when they get The Stand, he's like, I'm just going to write all the stuff. Oh my God. Uh, So much, so much, so much, so much. And this is more like he's not on, he's not on drugs. So he's able to like do it in a more, focused way even though there's still a lot of it i mean really this is half the length of the stand but it's all about one person so really there is a lot of detail about this person so there's still a lot 
Yeah, I mean, it's almost, it's almost kind. Uh, it's not fully like stream of consciousness, but it's almost stream of consciousness from her perspective, where she's going through all this shit and then she's remembering things and it'll jump back and forth as she's doing it. So it is hard to follow, but it stylistically it kind of makes some amount of sense if you're just following this woman coming to terms with her husband's death in whatever weird way and magic way this one has. But it, it, and he uses, I thought it was interesting. He uses magic in a lot the same, sort of like, in a, he uses magic in a lot the same way as he does in books like The Stand, I guess. But there's less, there's less horror in this. Like, yeah. in It, he was trying to write this, like, horrible, traumatic thing that happened to this town. Whereas in this, he was mainly just trying to write a story about a woman that happens to include, oh, this one very terrifying, like, thing that happened to her husband when her husband was a kid. And you don't, and the book doesn't dwell on that so much as, like, where it is always like, oh, and when is the, when is the evil clown coming back to eat another child? Um, so there's less of that, which I was fine with. I mean, it still has that element of, you know, Stephen King. Yeah. Though not all of his books are, in fact, horror, but, you know, that's what he's known for. The it majority. still has that piece of it, but it's not a huge piece. It's not the focus of the whole book. I didn't find it bad. I just don't like Stephen King. Like, I don't, I don't go, I would never go out of my way to read it. And that's fine. He's never gone out of his way to listen to our podcast, so we're even. But I, <laughs> that I don't, we know of. Uh, right. He could be one of the, the ones uh, We of do downloads. have downloads from Maine, so you never know. Yeah, maybe, uh, maybe, he, maybe he's one of them. There's he's, only 10 he, people there with internet. He's that one star review we got on <laughs> iTunes. Um, no, I, I, I don't think it's bad. The thing about Stephen King is like, it's competently written. The things I, I th- reading this book made you, I, I was I was like reading it and I, as I was going through, I was like, this is fine, but it feels like Stephen King, and I don't like that. And I was trying to figure out what it is I don't like, and I had, I think I have a theory. Part of it is I think Stephen King suffers from the same uh, ailment that the writer of Juno suffered from, which is the urge to make everything clever and always have funny lines and like you can't just say things in like a sort of quote-unquote normal way for example i highlighted like this line that occurs several times in the book when they're like trying to you know uh she wondered how in the name of jesus mary and jojo the carpenter finding that seerly ceremonial shovel could blah 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 nobody fucking says that Nobody says Jesus, Mary, and Jojo the Carpenter. That is fucking stupid. That is. I I have to completely agree with you, and I definitely in multiple Stephen King books, um, um, I've thought of like when a weird like term or reference or thing comes up, and I'm I'm, I've thought many times like, is that a thing? (laughs) Like, do I just? uh, I I sometimes (laughs) wonder if I've just lived a very sheltered life and don't know about how the world works, which I'm sure is probably true. But also, it's like. Is that a thing? And yeah, he but he just Stephen King just invents these things that are like cultural references, but he just made it up. But it feels like he's trying too hard. Like you don't need to say that. You don't need to have an inventive term of phrase every paragraph. I mean, also a lot of this book, more so than the others, because all of his books have weird made up phrases and weird made up words, and sometimes you're like. 
what the fuck are you talking about, Stephen? Or why did you do this? This one was much more so kind of about the inside jokes between a wife and a husband. And like a lot of the, a lot of the words they use, a lot of the phrases they use were like inside jokes they had. And none of them were explained. I'm not even criticizing that. Like you're strap it on and the bad gunky even, which is stupid. I'm not even criticizing that. But how about here's another example of just like. Strap on the long boy. (laughs) 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 All right. How about this? Okay. This is, this is, I think during, during the flashback of the guy who shot, the Mark, Mark David Chapman guy. And said, uh, it could have been an artillery shell, a bonsai tree, a radiation detector, or a china pig with a slot in its back for spare silver. It could have been a wang doodle, a phylactery testifying to the pompous of love, or a cloche hat made of coyote skin. It could have been the penis of the poet Pindar. <laughs> Why is that a sentence, a series of sentences that were written and someone was like, yeah, that's, that's it. Make sure you put the commas in the right spot. Why is that a thing? The p- penis of the poet Pindar, who, if you're curious, was like, where, where the fuck was he from? Thebes or something? Fucking Greek poet who wrote Olympic odes in like the 5th century BC. Why would it be his penis? That's just <laughs> trying too fucking hard to be clever and, oh, look at the cool things I know. And that's what I noticed in this book. There's a lot of examples of that where it's like Stephen King just fucking put some scary shit in there. Like, you don't need to tell me that you read the the Wikipedia article on Pindar and you realize, oh, he probably had a penis. Like, I don't need <laughs> to know that. That's not... It's just stupid, at, at least in my opinion. Like, why is that, that... That litany of things that it could have been. There's no confusing the artillery shell unless Pindar was very blessed with <laughs> Pindar's penis. The Rasputin of Greece. And maybe, but then why would you also potentially confuse his penis with a piggy bank, which For is girth. like, I mean, usually that's like, that's a vagine is, you know, the coin slot. Oh, that's like, true. A wang doodle, sure. A wang doodle could be a penis. But why, why is this here? I think he is, I, I, I don't. I don't know if he's trying to be clever. I think he's, he's definitely trying to be weird because that's what he is. For me, like someone trying to be clever and like showing off, definitely Juno. But also for me, that would be like, uh, who the fuck is that guy who wrote Fool? Christopher Moore. Sure. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. Where he's like a little more self-impressed. Stephen King. I think he's just a fucking weirdo, and I think sometimes he tries to be clever. Certainly, but I, I don't know if he's always trying to be clever. He just. He writes things in his own way, and it worked once or twice, and now he is allowed to do whatever he wants. So maybe it's a little, you know, self-indulgent, certainly. Uh, I don't know if he's trying to flex his his knowledge of uh, Grecian poets. He just probably went for the alliteration. But the the penis of Peter North would have been a much more recognizable (laughs) thing to say that. But then you lose out the P on poet. Or you can say Peter, the penis of porn star Peter North. Here you go. Please. The Peter of porn star Peter North <laughs> would have been better. All right, here, one more. One more ridiculous line I highlighted. This is when the guy's making the speech at, you know, when he like does the obnoxious thing. Like, let's, let's shovel out this dirt of ignorance and make a library speech. He says, he's a thinker, a writer. He will now scatter pearls of wisdom. Pearls before swine, Lizzie thinks. Sweaty swine at that. 
But didn't her father tell her, once, that pigs don't sweat? Across from her, Blondie carefully pushes his tumbled hair back from his fine white brow. His hands are as white as his forehead, and Lizzie thinks, there's one piggy who keeps to the house a lot. A stay-at-home swine, and why not? Why is her, all of the thoughts, it's like, is this something that he got like a writing assignment? It was like, I need you to write a paragraph, but everything has to relate back to pigs. And then he's like, oh yeah, I could do that. I mean, I, I this guess. little piggy's going to the market, and then he wrote this page. You have to th- realize he he took time to craft that, you know, with all of the allusions to the pigs. But why? That's Was my it necessary. That's, that's my question. Well, I think that I I maybe that. we're shitting on Stephen King for something that I'm shitting on. Author, it's fine. You don't have to join me in for. shitting on him. That's no, I, I'm not shitting on him. But I'm saying like. Like when we read other books where it's well crafted like that, it's like, wow, this is a good writer. But when Stephen King does it, suddenly it's like, what a pretentious dick. Sometimes it is a pretentious dick on other writers. Sometimes it is with him. But I don't know. I feel like uh, I feel like picking and choosing a little. I I I know what you're saying because I know that there are writers that we have read like Michael Chabon or Jeffrey Eugenides or yeah, like Middlesex was like that was intimately crafted. That was that was like you know fucking Ming Vei's level of craftsmanship, <laughs> but this, for me at least, and I'm a, a, a as a reader, as a you know not that we're critics, but like as a person who is going to read and and remark on something, it's ultimately all down to your personal preference. Yeah, and for me, middle sex as as much and, and you know I've argued with this about a with Superfan Eli. He he didn't like he felt it was overwrought. It works for me. I like it. It struck it struck the right note with me. And with Stephen King, I think part of it is that he doesn't do it in every paragraph. He does it like randomly. And then you randomly get this weird paragraph about fucking this little piggy. And it has nothing to do with pigs. Or randomly you get this thing. Or like here's another example. I didn't highlight it. But he like sets the scene. It's like, oh, they go into the room and you hear the music. And it's this recording. And it sounds like a... I fucking know a dulcimer in a steel pan, and it sounds like American Tune by Paul Simon. And it's like, oh, thanks for setting the scene, Stephen. Now I know exactly what's happening. Like it's like he just kind of like dumps a lot of details. I and mean, that's and, that's what a and, lot of writers, almost all writers, do that. And most all writers are not very good. <laughs> I'm not saying he's particularly bad in this. I'm just saying that it often just comes off to me as forced. I guess is what I'd say. That's why I draw the. That's why I draw the uh, comparison with, with Juno, because Juno felt very forced throughout most of that movie. Specifically, the line I always think of is when she goes into labor and shouts out, "Thundercats are go," yeah, and that absolutely. was like, that was fucking dumb. That it's felt... very impressed with itself. Exactly, and I feel like that when I read Stephen King books. That's I feel how, like that's for Stephen King, forced would be writing less. I think he just. I think he just has word diarrhea constantly. So this is. This is unforced for him. Everyone's like, Steve, it's too much, man. He's like, oh, fine, I'll clench a little. You should need to feed him something binding before he writes. <laughs> Steve, eat this whole bunch of bananas. <laughs> eat the opposite of spinach. <laughs> I'm not saying it's bad. It is enjoyable. I didn't hate reading this. It wasn't a chore. We've read many other things that I detested reading. This was fine. It was just, I was like, oh, why is this so long? And, and I don't like this passage. But it, like the story itself, creative, interesting. He's he's very inventive. There's a reason he's like the best-selling author of all time, basically, just up there. I just he's just not for me. 
It's just not, I, just, I just think he's overrated. I feel that. that. I don't think he's that great. I think he's good. Better than average, for sure. I just think it'd be better if he wrote half as many books and wrote half as much of them. Yeah, I could see that. I haven't read even half of his books, but I could tell you there's a half that I, I, I won't read. Yeah, and I do could. like him a lot. I don't know. Nate, what do you think? I would you're, read you're, more. You're kind of I would read more books like this. Maybe it's this is Stephen King's. Maybe maybe it's his later books, or maybe this one is just kind of more unique. Although it does say in Wikipedia that Stephen King has said that this is his favorite book that he's written. That he actually likes this book more than the others he's written. And you know what? I'm gonna say he's made the right choice. At least of the ones <laughs> I've read. Of the ones I've read including Dark Tower, which are my favorites, I think this is the one that you guys will like the most because the others are more like other Stephen King. The other ones are more Stephen King? More Stephen Kingy. Well, there, yeah, there are... There were very few mentions in this about scrotums or uh, eating a boy's little fat cock. <laughs> like, a, <laughs> like a weird shit that gets mentioned in his books. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> So it was a little toned down, more like Stephen Prince. <laughs> but I, I, I didn't hate it. It's fine. It was fine. I did not. I, 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 I haven't finished it because I just, I have to, I had to skim a lot, and I will not count that as having read the book on Goodreads because I have integrity. <laughs> but I will read it at some point in the next com- in the coming weeks, and I'll probably give it like a three or four. Uh, it's, it's not great. It's probably three in my book because it's just too long and. I'm like, man, but yeah, I'm sure you, you go read fucking the ones that no one's ever heard of by Stephen King, and those are atrocious. Absolutely, can't even. I can't even think of them because when I was looking at when I saw, I forget. I think it was Jimmy. Jimmy read it on Goodreads, um, and I was looking. I was like, what did he give this? How many stars did Jimmy give this? Because I know he likes it, and so I gave it four stars. I'm like, wow, all right. And then I scroll down, and it's like, you might also like these books. And there's like 20 other Stephen King books. And I'm like, I've read almost all of these. <laughs> and that's like not even, and those are just the famous ones. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of deep cuts that don't need to be. You want to go read um, Dreamcatcher or fucking. They made that into a movie. They made everyone into a movie. Yeah, but that one didn't do well as a movie. Either. That movie, I saw that movie. That movie was bad. Well, most of the movies. I, I just remember some, like, stupid thing that was a made-for-TV movie in the, the, the probably the, the 90s. I want to say it's The Langoliers. It was, like, the most, like, terrible, low-budget thing. It might have been something else, but I think a lot of his books turned out pretty bad. And there is a line in this book, in, in, in Lisey's story, where Scott says or somebody mentions to Scott in some scene like oh well you know uh film filming rights that's uh you know that's where the real money is and Scott says well the stuff the the movies made of the my work so far have all been bad (laughs) he just it's kind of a throwaway line he said like they they, uh four of they made four movies three of them bombed except for the one horror one empty devils empty devils I felt like he was also saying that they were just done badly. Maybe. Well, that could yeah. be. I don't know how Lisey's story, the show, turned out. I think he thought it would be a better show than a movie because it gives you more time. Like, to try and cram this into, like, a two, two and a half hour oh, movie. Oh, yeah, it'd be, be terrible. Yeah, impossible. Terrible. I think this will actually be... 
I, I think I personally would enjoy this more in a visual f- format like that, just because it will make it Julianne Moore fan. I mean, I like Julianne Moore. I mean, you know, yeah. into, into redheads. But <laughs> I think it would be easier to follow in a sense because all those passages in the first like third of the book where, you know, it's another random line, like who the fuck is talking now? That could be explained by just having a voiceover and it could, it could communicate the same thing without it seeming, you know, overt, like as if, you know, in the book it said, Hey, baby love, that's bad gunky, said Scott's disembodied voice, where it would have made it very, you know, not, you know, fluid. But it could just be put in there and make it much more like sort of cinematic things. You could just focus on the storyline of it as opposed to working to understand it. I don't like to work that hard to understand any book. And I'll be an elitist. I don't want to work that hard to understand any Stephen King book. So I think this this would be better as as a show. They could also do that thing where they change their hair to say what timeline it's in. Oh, yeah, just give her, like, a fucking ridiculous... She has, like, a Rachel haircut from Friends in, like, the 90s flashbacks. Well, I mean, who knows if this takes place in 2006 or if they updated it, so... Well, yeah, I'm, I'm assuming they, fl- they updated it by a decade and change, a decade and a half. And so she's, she's wearing mid-2000... Uh, 2001, I was just, just was like, Britney Spears all the time. I don't know what She has, like, a snake on her shoulders. Yeah. And she doesn't have a conservatorship. Not yet. Not yet. I'm just trying to think of other bad Stephen King books to test you with. The Tommy Knockers? Did you fucking read that book? I, I, had, nope. I haven't read any of like the really deep cuts. Except maybe like I read Insomnia. The no, that's not pers- super deep. The per- that was also a movie. Wasn't that with Al Pacino and Robin Williams? Different thing entirely. Oh. Different, same word, not the same uh, story. <laughs> Stephen King, I thought he made that up. <laughs> Until they made that book, they were just called it Real Sleepy. But can't. Sleepy, no sleeping. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, The girl who loved Tom Gordon. Anyway, um, who should read it, guys? If you like Stephen King, yeah. If you like Stephen King, you already did. I would say, I don't know. I would actually say if you're like okay with Stephen King, but not a super fan, this would actually be okay. This would be be all right. It's a good way to dip your toes in the the pool where we all go to drink i'd have to agree with that nate uh, as much as i shit on it I, i'm really shitting on it this episode just i'm trying to figure out why i don't like stephen king in general but it's fine it's nothing bad we've read we've read way worse famous things that, like i couldn't stomach there we've was nothing... worse stephen king i really oh, yeah. didn't like the stand i really didn't like pet cemetery it was okay what was the other one the vampire one oh, oh, we did oh, the Salem's vampire lot? one was terrible oh, oh yeah salem's lot that was garbage and then the dark oh. tower i mean we did the first dark tower book but that was just that was that was my least that favorite. was just f- bizarre and i had no idea what was happening but as yeah. jimmy explained that's more of a confused prequel than it's a prologue. the actual book prologue there you go so i won't i don't even know what to think about that yeah so anyway i think i think it, it is actually I, I would say it's the strongest one so far that i've read anyway tell us what you thought Send us an email to drunkguysbookclub at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at drunkguysbc. Or go to Facebook and Instagram at drunkguysbookclub. And if you've listened this long, why don't you head over to wherever you're listening and leave us a review. Just run to five stars. One for every hundred pages long this book is. Or we'll get into bad gunky. <laughs> and you can also find us on Patreon where you can give us money so that we can read books uh, and get money for doing that because that's fun. And you can also be our friend on Goodreads because we are friendly and we like to read Good. Lee. 
And check out the Hopped Up Network, a network of independent beer podcasters. And thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.